Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast, where we are exploring the intersection between racial justice and pop culture and looking for practical insight about social progress. I'm one of your hosts, Andre Henry. And I'm your other host, Trishes. And today we are joined by my friend, Gabriel Beltrone. Gabe and I are actually recording my album together. He is an amazing music producer, but he is also a journalist who has written for outlets like Politico and Huffington Post. And he recently wrote an article for Muse by Cleo that we are going to be discussing later on today. So thank you so much for being here, Gabe. Great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, sorry. Nice. So we'd like to check in. Trish, how you doing? What's going on in your world? I'm doing pretty good. I have been doing a lot of affirmations lately. So I came to this oh. conclusion. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I have this like weird and unhealthy relationship with influence and success. Like I see those things as the same thing in my mm-hmm. Trish psyche. Um Mm -hmm. But I realized I have a really good relationship with money. Um, And and I've noticed that sort of in comparison to I have friends who have, you know, we all have our our things that we have weird, difficult relationships with. And I think a lot of that comes from like childhood and what we felt like we lacked, etc. So I was Mm -hmm. talking to some friends and I realized like I have a really great relationship with money. It's not something I worry about, but it's also not something I like crave and cling on to. And like, I really yeah. enjoy being generous with money. I enjoy spending money on friends when, um, when I'm able to. Um, so the other mm-hmm. day I was thinking, I'm probably going to get my royalty check soon. It'd be so cool if that royalty check was like even bigger than the last time, but like not in a way that was mm-hmm. like, I really want to like make a bunch on this check. And then the next day I got the royalty statement and it was more than last time. And it was like a lot for me. And I was like, this is the kind of relationship I need to have with success where um, I'm like, it'd be really fun if that thing happened. It'd be really fun if that thing came through. Mm -hmm. And so I have been spending, since I sort of had that realization, I've been spending a lot of time trying to to curate now that I have a relationship that I can um sort of like mold this other relationship after now that like I'm like oh this is what a healthy relationship with something looks like I'm Mm. trying to curate that same feeling with my um with my relationship with success and influence. So that's what's been going on over here. A lot of uh, affirmations and such. How are how are you doing, Andre? Well, cool. I want to ask you about that, though. Like, what is what's one affirmation, like an example that you might have around that? One is literally just I am successful. So I've Mm. realized the reason I don't worry about money is because I have never felt like I lacked money. Even when my family Mm -hmm. didn't have a lot of money, it never felt like it was lacking. And my dad and my mom were always so generous with it. They loved Mm. taking their families out to dinners. They loved taking care of their families, like extended families, Mm -hmm. brothers, sisters, parents. 
And so I just developed this relationship with money where I was like, oh, this is a fun thing that you can like do fun things for mm-hmm. other people with. Um, well, I'd never heard anybody come. call money fun, but that is, is that's, that's, that's interesting. That's really interesting. So like, oh, it's, okay. it's not something I cling to. And I also like have a very specific sort of, um, like ritual I do where when I go and spend money and then I'm like, Oh my God, did I spend too much? I always make sure to give some money away. Like I'm like, I spent too much at Target and I see like an unhoused person on the street. I give it away because I notice that feeling of clinging and I don't like it. Mm. And I'm like, you should give this away because you're very privileged. And so I think I'm just thinking, I'm just figuring out how does that translate into other aspects of my life? So yeah. And so an affirmation I've been like writing down anytime I feel stressed is just like, I am successful. I am enough. Um, but I also like listen to like an affirmation podcast, which is, which is fun, I guess, but I actually really like it. So, um, so yeah, I've been, I've been doing, doing my affirmations. Yeah. I found affirmations helpful in my own life as a writer, when I first started writing, because I did not feel like I could write a book, I had Mm. like a list of affirmations that I said to myself, um, like I am already a writer. I have Mm. something to say, you know, those kinds of things, because, you know, all these kinds of things can be so discouraging. Um, I'm doing pretty good. Um, trying to think I'm going to South Africa this weekend. Uh, for oh, so that's confirmed. That's for, happening. Yes, apparently it's happening. Um, yeah, because I got an email about our final orientation meeting. Although I've not been invited to any meetings previous to this one, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, it looks like I'm going to South Africa. I know that should sound more confident because it's a whole nother continent. Like, yeah, and also it's like Wednesday. This weekend is like two days away. Indeed, yes. Um, but <laughs> do you have tune in flights? next week to see if Andre actually if Andre made it to Africa or not? <laughs> um, but yeah, gonna do some music for them. My EP is dropping this Friday, so I'm really excited about that. Um, I got into a wrestling match with a spider today. Who wins? Is, who won that match is not important. It happened. It's exciting. You know, I'm going to have a story to tell my grandkids. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Gabriel, how are you doing these days? What's going on with you? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good. I had a, a actually a, something about the day. I had a small wrestling match with a spider uh, earlier as well. Um, <laughs> you surprised too? Surprised me while I was trying to. I, 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 me too. Yeah. I was, was trying to pour my second cup of coffee, which is a pretty important, pretty important cup of coffee. And it popped up on the counter and there was a whole, whole conversation and yeah, you know, things got a little heated for for a moment, but it's uh, a whole thing. I wonder if the LA times is covering this. (laughs) (laughs) They should be. Do they know there are spiders? Letters to the, to the editor. Um, you know, (laughs) I had a dream last night that I was, I was covered in a swarm of bees. So I don't know if you guys can figure out what that means. (laughs) Uh, Were they friendly? 
Okay. It was like quite, it was an elaborate dream. I was in like an old house that was part of like more of like a theme park sort of thing. And then it was, we saw a couple of bees and then all of a sudden a swarm of bees were like covering my whole body. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I just have to be like really calm and stay really still. And then we Mm. like made our way out of this old house. And then there was like a guy outside who I think was a professional of bees, (laughs) bee professional. (laughs) And then the bees started to like lift off of me and like go onto this man. And he like very confidently walked them out. Oh, wow. You know, because I live in a horror movie, I totally thought you were (laughs) Candyman in this dream. I thought you were going to say I have, I had a hook for a hand. And there were kids outside and I had this, you know, I'm not even going to come, but, but your dream was much better. I am going to look up the the symbolism of bees later, but also, uh, Gabriel, what happened after your wrestling match with the spider? <laughs> oh, I, I, uh, I was able to, to, you know, persuade it into a Tupperware and, and release it on the, on the balcony. So I hopefully returned it to, to, uh, uh, better what environment. What a nonviolent uh, solution. God, that's what God we do here proud. <laughs> we look for um, uh, that's what practi- some of us practical do. insights <laughs> non-violent solutions <laughs> <laughs> I, I will be honest I am not I am not always that way with um, all uh, unwanted guests or have not always been nobody's that perfect un- unwanted nobody's perfect but <laughs> I try to treat the spiders at least like like friends um, and it's I have to credit my my grandfather, who, you know, anytime there was a, an insect in the house or a spider, he would refuse to, to, um, oh, wow. To kill it. So, so your grandfather a, would treat like insects, like they're lost, like, okay, let's get you back to your, to your, he, your, your space. Yeah. He was, he was a very, uh, very sweet and gentle, gentle, uh, man. So he was, was, uh, kind even to the, to the insects. And that uh, is genuinely so. touching. So I do, I, any, I do anytime I have that impulse to, uh, to, um, uh, you know, us towards a solution that's, that, that is perhaps, uh, more violent towards a spider or something like that. I try to, it's an opportunity to remember him and to maybe honor him a little bit by, uh, by taking a gentler approach. So. Oh, this is reminding me of a struggle I've <laughs> right. I've been having this struggle for the past 48 hours after watching a video where Alicia Silverstone totally shames me for eating meat. And uh, by showing me like the pain that mother cows go through when they are separated from their calves. Oh, my God. They cry for days, first off. But the thing that really got to me. Um, was thinking about how we justify the cruelty that happens to the the systematic cruelty that happens to animals and torture that happens to animals in these processes by saying they're not human and thinking as a black person, yeah, that's what they said about us and why Mm. they treated us as non-humans, right? So there's this whole thing for me of like, I, a part of my commitment to social justice has to do with not wanting to be a part of the oppression of any other living being right yeah and you know so now i have to figure out like what that actually means in practice because 
not to be funny, I know this is going to come out facetiously and it's okay for everyone listening if you laugh, but I don't mean this facetiously. It is very hard to order from Shake Shack right now. <laughs> um, so anyway, but I, it, did, it did make me think about all beings, including the spiders, including the cockroaches, including the rats and, you know, where the, where, where the, you know, what that's going to look like in practice. Anyway, uh, we're this just in everyone. We're all doing fine. We'll be back after the break. <laughs> <laughs> Dog, I've been fighting for tomorrow. Gotta make it to tomorrow. So I'm really excited today, one, because Gabe and Andre are two of my best friends, but not only that, probably two of my friends that I have like the most in-depth intellectual conversations with. So it's wonderful that they're both here today. The reason why we wanted to bring on Gabe today is because he just published a piece with Muse by Cleo called 14 Big, Bad, and Delightfully Weird Ads from Hip Hop's 50 Years on Earth. What a headline. (laughs) And we were talking about, um, he was writing this article, and before it was out, we had a session, and we were talking about what an interesting... um, intersection of commerce and black identity um that this article like was really talking about and the article is like a fun interesting piece but um we thought it would be cool to dive into maybe the more uh political or not as fun aspects of the conversation of um of how the how advertising and hip hop and that relationship fits into the greater scheme of the commodification of um black identity by white people um throughout all of american history um but before we dig into all of that gabe can you just tell us a little bit about this article sure and uh you know, thanks. Thanks again for having me on to to chat about this. I appreciate it. And um, I mean, the article, as you were just saying, Trish, um, sort of. Uh, Trish, Trish's. Do you? How do you? How do you prefer? <laughs> I, Either. You Either is fine. <laughs> okay. Um. Uh. You know, it was a pretty, pretty lighthearted, um, sort of just historical look at examples of of, uh, hip hop ads or ads using hip hop in from the past 50 years. Um, part of that's because of the audience of this particular site is this site is aimed at the creative industry and the advertising industry specifically, or creatives in the advertising industry. So this was just sort of a, a quick roundup, but as you were saying, Trish, you know, speaks to a lot of deeper themes and that you and I started talking about, um, during that session. And 
So, um, so yeah, it's, I've been thinking about it a lot and doing a lot of reading and, and reflecting, um, sort of beyond just this, this, uh, historical look, um, which, yeah, I, I don't want to ramble, but even, even just trying to get a relatively small number of examples that captured even some of the, the aspects of this, this history, um, it was hard to condense it down because it's, this is obviously a very rich and, uh, diverse history, um, both musically and in terms of the, the, the relationship with, um, commerce. So does that answer the question? Yeah. Don't worry about rambling, by the way, too. You're our guests. Put your feet up. <laughs> Let your <laughs> hair down. That's what you're here for. You're here for the Go in the fridge if you like. Well, well uh, cut, 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 cut me off if I if I uh, stray too far off off uh, off topic here. But uh, oh no, not at all. What were yeah. some of the um, what were some of the ads that you wrote about? Yeah. So um, I uh, one of the you know one of the first big examples and famous examples is the Run DMC Adidas ad um, from 1986, which um, is tied to their famous song uh, "My My Adidas," um, which was uh, on their album "Raising Hell," which um, was the first uh, the first hip hop album to go platinum. I believe. Um, so sort of a watershed moment, but, um, let me just make sure I got a detail right there. Uh, but I, yeah, so, so that one was, a, is a really interesting one. And it's sort of one of the most famous music ads in history. Um, even beyond hip hop, one of the most, uh, popular ads, um, and spawned a relationship that, that, uh, you know, has persisted throughout the years. You can still, still buy run DMC Adidas, uh, shoes and all that. Um, and, you know, wrote a little bit about Sprite, um, which has done a lot of advertising, uh, with hip hop artists throughout the years, uh, was one of the, one of the earliest into, into the space. Um, and wrote, uh, I mean, there are, there are 14 that I focused on and, and then sort of, sort of covered off some other history, but, um, what else? There was boost mobile in 2004 with Ludacris and Kanye and the game. There was, I feel um, like you're just like describing my childhood. Like <laughs> just, <laughs> we're just flipping through pages, flipping through pages. There, like, was, Oh my God, we black people do love Sprite and Adidas. Well, we, you know, we loved Adidas shell toast up during the, I hate to, I hate to be, you know, like, I, I, I don't want to be problematic, but like, these are things that were heavily marketed to like me, my brother, my friends, you know, growing up in high school. And I remember like, we had like a Sprite basketball, you know, that's kind of the only soda that we drank. You know, there was this whole revival of like old school hip hop. I don't know if you remember this. I think it was the late 90s where like Eric Sermon. What did they call themselves again? EPMD remade Rapper's Delight. Someone else remade the message, you know, and that brought back like the Adidas jumpsuits, the, sh the shell toed sneakers and all that kind of stuff. So it's just funny to hear like you talking about it from like the perspective of like these folks in the marketing boardroom 
and me and my like brothers and cousins being like, yeah, we just love this shit. <laughs> I think it's yeah. a, another thing we talked about a little bit, um, Gabe, was that initially these brands were using hip hop artists to market to a black, a young black demographic, but that sort of changed over time. And like now black identity is very heavily used to sell products to white people. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you, were there any like interesting trends you noticed in terms of like the demographic it was geared to or sort of um yeah any any trends you you noticed in terms of how the the marketing changed through time there are a number of themes uh you know that we could we could sort of zoom in on but one very big one is um that the audience of of hip hop has changed a lot since it's very early uh, days and it's not just changed, but it's, uh, it's grown and the reach of hip hop has grown. So I think, you know, and it's also, you know, the number of sub genres and its influence on, on pop music broadly has, has, is, you know, it's hard to understate how significant that is, but, um, you know, I think that, um, very, very big, big picture, you know, I think it was 2017, you know, became the first year that, uh, hip hop and R and B combined, which is how they, uh, the sort of the research firms tend to measure it overtook pop and rock as the most listened to genre in the United States. And, um, a lot of that is of course driven by young people, you know, for millennials and for Gen Z, um, the audience for hip hop or hip hop genres is, is incredibly diverse. You know, most white kids as well as black and uh, Latino folks, you know, grew up with this as part of their mainstream experience. Um, and so, uh, so I think, you know, without getting into a, uh, you know, I think, a lot of hip hop stars are just big pop stars now in, in a sense, uh, not to, yeah, that makes sense. You know, not to, you know, diminish the parts of their identity that are, are unique, but, or indistinct, but like, you know, I know you said that really carefully. Like we don't want any rappers come looking for, to come looking for you, but it's the truth. You know, you were also saying something, about how you noticed um, the change in, I don't know if it was a Pepsi commercial, but um, between um, one they had done with Doja Cat and an earlier one they had done with Nicki Minaj. Is that right? Oh, so yeah. There, I mean, this is, this is, um, I mean, I don't, I don't, it's, it was not so much a change. There's, there's a whole, I think a whole really complex set of questions here around, you know, what, even in the context of, um, you know, accepting that, that hip hop has a, a much bigger stage now than it did in the eighties and, and the nineties in terms of brand marketing yeah. and, and, uh, and pop culture generally. Right. I think there's a really, um, complicated, uh, and, and interesting question about, you know, what types of, of 
uh, identity hip hop performers are allowed to present on these big stages. And mm. uh, I don't have this is more of a question than something I have a specific answer to. But I think that, you know, I was noticing, I think what you're talking about, Trish, I was noticing that, you know, Nicki Minaj did a um, uh, a commercial for our campaign for Pepsi in 2012, but it was very much uh, um, focusing on sort of the dance pop part of her right. uh, persona. Um, whereas, you know, obviously she's an incredible rapper and we know her as an incredible rapper as well. And in mm-hmm. addition to being a singer and having this sort of bubblegum piece to her, her mm-hmm. perform performing identity. So, um, now I don't know, you know, who exactly makes those decisions or why, but it was a question, uh, you know, Doja Cat did an ad for Pepsi in 2021, um, that, uh, Trish and I, we were talking about, and it's very, very much a, um, a pop ad, um, or excuse me, very much a pop song, you know, it was a remake of, uh, um, you're the one that I want from Greece, um, but in sort of a pop R and B style. Um, and it's, and it's, it's pretty pop. It it incorporates elements of hip hop and the arrangement and, and, you know, the musical, musicologically and, and, um, but, um, so I just sort of, you know, I also think of Doja Cat as a, as a crossover artist. She sings pop mm-hmm. music. She's also an incredible rapper. Like yeah. she uh, is complex and multi-talented. And so, and I say this not to um, drag Pepsi per se, though they do have like a, like a, like a complicated history. Um, mm-hmm. 2019, they did uh, a few ads, including a Super Bowl ad with cardi b um and that was a very big year for 2019 was a huge year for women in hip-hop specifically um Mm -hmm. and the super bowl is the biggest stage for advertisers i mean this was a it was an ensemble cast it was also steve carell and lil john and the song they used was uh i like it um so latin Latin crap situation Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm. she was doing her you know uh it was sort of built around her um the comedic bit, the, uh, the, the okay or occur thing, which I can't <laughs> properly do, do justice to, but I, in an attempt okay. to just, yes. yes, thank you. Um, so, uh, so I don't, I, I, you know, I don't have a conclusion there. Um, and I think, you know, this, this was obviously some of Cardi B's lyrics get very, uh, racy and, Fortune mm-hmm. 500 co- companies are like rarely going to uh, include anything racy in their in their marketing. But yeah. um, uh, I don't know. This is just a que- it's a question I have. And Pepsi has gotten into hot water some years ago. Not hot water is the wrong way of phrasing, but phrasing it actually. But they um, uh, they the famous example of this. Um, is I don't know if you'll recall, but in 2002 they did a uh, campaign with Ludacris and Shakira um, that prompted a pretty severe, uh, you know, uh, barely veiled racist backlash from Bill O'Reilly and his uh, his right wing minions, and you know. I think I vaguely remember this. Did he do like a whole segment about like how it's degrading and all that other kind yeah, of stuff? It was, it was, yeah. Cause you, you know, I mean, 
uh, he really went on like a, like a campaign, uh, against mm-hmm. Pepsi and against Ludacris and, you know, to degrading and calling Ludacris a thug and, you know, uh, you know, going after Pepsi, Pepsi for platforming him and Pepsi, not to their credit back down, they pulled the campaign. They didn't stand behind it. And this, you know, like this is 2002 and there, there, there are many threads that follow out of this, you know, both in wow. terms of, um, uh, you know, Pepsi's relationship to music and, and, uh, you know, ludicrous, uh, got, uh, I don't know if, if justice is the right, but you know, he, he got some, some good lyrical burns in off of it. And especially when Bill O'Reilly, um, you know, uh, finally, um, faced some accountability for his own, uh, problematic behavior. Um, yeah, I think it's just this, this sort of a question, uh, and, and Pepsi has done a lot to support a pretty diverse range of music musicians, um, mm-hmm. over the years. Uh, but I do think that there's like a question there that I'm still trying to like wrap my head around and investigate about what types of, you know, what parts of their identities, uh, white corporations will permit, uh, which black performers to, to, um, showcase. And so mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. And please, please. No, it uh, totally makes sense. I mean, as you're talking about it, it just, it seems pretty consistent, you know, with the capitalist system of like, okay, black bodies are useful to us for making profit, right? Regardless of what form that might take, what form that might take, right? And some something I have been wondering about, which is also a question for me, like when, you know, my concern being <clears throat> black liberation but also just you know liberation in general like the the end of imperialism you know is kind of about the history of okay the civil rights movement for instance in some ways could be read as like black people kind of beating down the door to participate in white society right i I know some people won't be happy about that reading, but that is one way to read it, right? Like we want to be, we want the chance to be consumers as well. And I think a more updated version of that, um, maybe updated, maybe not, but I do think that in some ways that might have evolved into some people even saying, we don't just want to be consumers. We also want to be capitalists. We want our, we want our chance to be a part of the capitalist class as class as well which they may not realize it, but they're also saying we want to, ex- we want to be able to exploit labor as well, <laughs> you know? Um, and these are, these are parts of the conversation that we don't really talk about, but when, you know, in the context of music and corporations, one thing I realized, you know, I went to, I went to this music academy in Inglewood. I think it was a couple years ago now. And, um, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. I see the I see the train of thought leaving the station right now, and I'm like, no, wait, wait, come back, come back. I'm trying to knock on the back cab and let me back in. Um, okay. Oh, what I realized is how exploitative the music industry has been just within the black community, right? People who beat down the door or worked their way up to being black capitalists, being able to now exploit other black artists, 
right? For instance, I learned, I think two years ago or something, like Snoop Dogg didn't get paid for like most of those classic records in the 90s, you know, Mm. Um, which was amazing to me. This ties into a lot lot for me, just like to me, this is the same principle at work and like these revolutions in Africa, you know, where the the person who leads the revolution becomes the next dictator, right? Um, And so anyway, I might have gone a little bit left of field with what you were saying, but it just reminded me, I'm just saying it makes sense. Like what I hear it basically in what you're saying is like this kind of exploitation that continues to happen, but it seems like it's maybe more updated. I, I, this is a theme that, you know, I've been thinking a lot about in sort of the wake of, of writing the, the article and as I've continued to do more research and, um, you know, as you're saying, right on, on the subject of capitalism, like this is what capitalism and consumer capitalism does is, is it exploits identity. Um, I know you've talked about this in the context of, of, uh, beauty before on the podcast, but you know, this, it, it defines our, our sense of identity and our sense of desire and our, and our insecurities. And it uses the, uses it to sell us things, some of which we may, we may need, some of which we may not. Um, and, uh, I think that there's a, um, you know, uh, maybe it's obvious to say, but there's a compounding, uh, effect or it's, it's a compounding problem when you talk about, or you imagine, you know, capitalism using black identities to sell products, especially products that might be harmful to black communities and especially talk about the compounding effects of structural and systemic disparities and access to healthcare, you know, so if we're, you know, if white corporations are selling McDonald's or Sprite or these things that we know have, you know, mm-hmm. at least with hindsight, we know have adverse health, health impacts and are co-opting black identity to, to, uh, sell these products to black communities and treating it, you know, over the past 50 years, very specifically like, Oh, look at all, look at this, these consumers, right. I think to your point, Andre, you know, um, if you take that reading of the civil rights movement as leading to, you know, black folk wanting to participate in capitalism and participate in consumer society, right? It's like, oh, well, here's a whole new, a whole new growing group of consumers that we can colonize and, and, and sell to and exploit by. So I think there is truth that this is just very much in the nature of capitalism and that it is especially problematic, um, uh, when it happens to, uh, communities that have been historically exploited and are exploited in compounding and intersecting ways. Um, and, and then I think of the other thread you were speaking to is that there's just a really complicated evolution, which is, you know, again, I'm not, not to, uh, drag anyone or detract from the success of a figure, you know, the, the greatest example, I think of what you're describing is probably Jay-Z who, Mm. um, Let's talk about it. Where's my ear horn? And this is, you know, uh, yeah. So this is sort of one of the things that Trish and I, I'm going to bounce around a little bit here. So please jump in. But like um, one of the trends that that Trish and I spoke about um, 
was that sort of, I think starting in the late, really in the, like the late nineties and into the two thousands, you start to see as hip hop has really become mainstream, you start to see a trend where, um, you know, sort of beyond just the, the historical typical brand deals where, where a corporation or an advertiser would pay an artist cash to appear in their ad and pitch their product. Like you see, um, uh, some hip hop artists again, maybe a little bit more subversive. So one classic example, of this is an LA LL Cool J ad in 1999 where LL Cool J is doing a, uh, a freestyle for gap and he wears a FUBU hat and, um, and sneaks a reference to for us bias into the lyric of this ad that, you know, Gap is paying a lot of money to air on national TV. And as, as the lore goes, you know, Gap had no idea that this was happening until after kids started coming into the Gap stores looking for, for FUBU uh, <laughs> merch, right? And in the end, it like works out well for everybody because it, it boosts FUBU's pro profile. And this is, you know, as uh, Damon John, who's the founder of, of mm. FUBU um, and now a Shark Tank uh, uh, shark or investor mm -hmm. tells it, but you know, this was, um, gap got some credibility out of this and it also, you know, it's a quite a story, but mm -hmm. so you, you see, um, you see sort of this evolution start to happen where, you know, the next sort of one, one that jumps out is, uh, 50 cent taking a stake in vit vitamin water starting mm -hmm. in 2004 as he became an, an endorsement so that, you know, rather than just taking, taking a pay, uh, you know, a chunk of cash, which no, not no shame in that, yeah. especially if you need the money. Right. Yeah. But like, um, he actually gets to participate materially in the success of this thing that he's helping to build. Mm -hmm. So what happens is he, he gives his endorsement for a, a minority percentage of this company, but it still translates when the company sells to coca-cola uh he still gets like a, a nets a hundred million dollars out of out of being this doing these endorsements um which is substantial substantially more than anyone would see for you know a single yeah. um ad deal um and so uh and that's sort of considered like a war a watershed and, and trail trailblazing moment in hip-hop um, and, um, and he also sort of, uh, immortalized it in the, the, uh, there's a quarter, wa quarter water line in I get money, um, which is from, I think 2007, which, uh, it's a, it's an incredible line. I, I should, I uh, was today years old <laughs> when I heard this, like, what is me, that uh, line? Oh, let me let me pull it up real quick because it's uh, while you look for that. I'm just going to drop something kind of random because it reminded me of a, an, an ongoing debate with my aunt Deb, who swears that there are millions of songs out there, rap songs about Chuck E. Cheese. The first one that she mentioned was <laughs> Gold Digger. <laughs> and I was like, Aunt Deb, I promise you there is no reference to, to Chuck E. Cheese. In Gold Digger. And I know mo a lot of, I know pretty much all the words to Gold Digger because when I was in New York, we had an open mic where someone did Gold Digger every week and I did, you know, I sang uh, Jamie Foxx's part. 
So like we go through the whole thing and she swears up and down. Then she's like, well, maybe showbiz. I, maybe I was thinking of showbiz and I forgot that there is a showbiz pizza place. Arguments with my Aunt Deb are great. We should have her on just so that we could debate about something because... I would love that. That would be so fun. We should have, we should have your um, Aunt Deb on and my mom, who is also named Deb. And we should just have like <laughs> the Deb episode. Oh my God. The Deb episode. <laughs> I am actually into this. I also, I also, while we're talking about family, I asked my dad if he would be on the show one time just because he's very brilliant, but he's also hilarious. Um, I don't think he's always trying to be. I'm going to like just make a like a random like out of context quotes of my dad. Like the time he was like, I think James Bond should be white because this was around the Idris Elba argument. He was like, <laughs> and, it, and it's and it, but but it was a part of a larger idea that he was like, some things should just be white. I want James Bond to be white. I want Santa Claus to be white. And he had a whole list of things that he just wanted oh to gosh, stay white. That's so funny. That's how I feel about succession. And I do want to hear this lyric, but I just keep it white. Been thinking just keep succession ab- white. I have been thinking about how I love the way succession treats women of color because they are fundamentally non-existent. And that is very purposeful because the the point they're trying to show in succession is like we're all puppets by these like of these rich white guys um but anyways yeah. that's gonna be another show i'm gonna we're gonna do a succession show andre doesn't know yet <laughs> it could be cool um, to just follow a tv series is another thing okay all right we've gotten into brainstorming everybody this is fine it's fine all right did you find okay, the lyric the lyric I, I did it sorry it took me it took was me like a, a commercial a minute um uh all right so this is uh and I'll, I will, I will keep it. Um, what, what, what's, uh, so the, I, the lyric is the famous lyric or the, the lyric that I know to be famous is I took quarter waters, sold it in bottles for two bucks and Coca-Cola came and bought it for billions. What the, I don't oh, know if we do wow. cursing. Um, I'm no, just, you can curse. Just let yeah, it out. Yeah, so Along it, with <laughs> any other curse words, you've just been dying to say. If you, if you came into if you came into this interview like cussed all day, <laughs> we'll set a timer I, for you. I, I, I prob I probably cursed plenty earlier in the day, and then you oh, know, okay. Um, well, you know, open uh, invitation. So, if you ever just need to pop back in, <laughs> you and while we're interviewing somebody else, like we just show up and like, hey, I came here to cuss. This is a safe place for you. <laughs> I appre- I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, Anytime. Uh. So, um, so I know this was a sort of a long journey cause I, I started with this, this idea about Jay, Jay-Z, um, who obviously has done brand deals, but I sort of separate from that. And just in terms of this theme you were talking about with the relationship between, between, um, black identity and, and access to consumerism and, and capitalism and, mm-hmm. you know, He's a figure who he was hip hop's first billionaire. He's worth about 2.5 billion now. Um, and, um, sort of that, that story is just the, the whole story is, is really complicated and fascinating. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the sort of 
you know, in addition to sort of founding Rockefeller um, in the 90s, which I, to your point, will note, you know, the, per, the, the name he chose for yeah, his business course, yeah. was a, a 19th century robber baron is modeled off. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, Some things should just be white. <laughs> <laughs> certainly put put it you know uh, uh thanks dad uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh you know good good fun twist on it lyrically speaking but um so um yeah so you know basically built this label because he couldn't get signed and then sold sold the label and that to eventually to universal which brought him up to like a, a bigger platform um, but, uh, there's sort of like a pretty substantial, I would say moment in, in 2006. Do you, are, do you know about the, the crystal story or? I don't know, but can I make one up? Okay. <laughs> Trish, you got to make one up too. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you some time. I'll give you some time. It's a game. Um, all right. So my guess that the crystal story is that Jay-Z got in an altercation with someone at a club where he poured an entire bottle of crystal mm. with somebody. Your turn, Trish. Jay-Z was in, a, in an elevator with a bottle of crystal. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> um, anyways, what's this crystal story? Is that why Solange attacked him? Okay, and that's why Solange attacked him because yeah. she hates Crystal. Just because he was there with the bottle. She hates <laughs> Crystal. <laughs> um, okay, no, really, what happened? The um, the the I, I I like both of those stories. By the way, I think those are both both um, the this the the story is um. Up until 2006, it was pretty common for Jay-Z to, to rap about Crystal. And um, by that point, he obviously had a huge, huge platform as an artist. Um, and then a journalist at The Economist asks a, an executive at Crystal, which is this, you know, old European champagne co company, asks the executive how the executive feels about this association, this relatively new association between hip hop and Cristal. Um, Jay-Z is not the only rapper who's using this as a symbol of material success and living the high life, but one of the, one of the big ones. And this, this executive at, at Cristal responds something to the effect of, uh, something to the effect of what can we do? It's not like we can stop them from buying it. And it's this like, awful wow uh, response um and jay-z pretty much immediately um you know calls it out and says this is racist and and uh since i'm allowed to curse you know says i'm paraphrasing says this is total bullshit right and wow. you know we're gonna you know fuck these guys we're gonna build our own thing and so he invests in armin de Brignac. Uh, I may be mispronouncing that because my French is, but it's, it's uh, also known as Ace of Spades. And sort of there's this watershed shed moment in 2006, 2006, 2007, where Jay-Z is no longer rapping about Cristal. He's now referencing Ace of Spades in his, wow. um, <laughs> in his music. And, uh, you know, I couldn't tell you exactly what the multiple 
multiples are from a business perspective, right? But he, um, this becomes a significant driver of his wealth is his ownership in this champagne company he ends up buying the whole thing and selling 50% of it back to LVMH for something like two, no, something like $320 million, right? But still owns a significant chunk of it, right? So this is, and this is, you know, when Forbes does its, you know, the uh, hip hop billionaires or, or your richest rappers lists, they do some breakdowns of the wealth. And, you know, Jay-Z also has a um, ownership stake in a, a cognac brand that um, Bacardi now owns a huge chunk of, but is worth hundreds of millions of dollars as well. So, for example, Jay-Z's liquor holdings represent a far greater percentage of his wealth than his music does, which is a, which is a success story from a capitalist perspective. For he, sure. He, he's built this, you know, and deserves a lot of credit, you know, especially as a kid from the projects who started out dealing drugs and is this incredible entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. And it's the American dream. It's, it's the American dream. That's, exa that's exactly what people, that's exactly what, you know, you even people all over right the world are like, that's possible in America. Huh? Right. Do you see what I'm oh. wearing right now? <laughs> the American dream? <laughs> I, that's me. I think, I'm going to just, I'm going to say that Trish just handed that to me then. I didn't know. This, but <laughs> Subconsciously. It was, a, well, this is, it was a subliminal. Yeah. This is what I think about, like, there are so many things that I am starting to realize that me buying into the narrative of is actually harmful. So like even that idea of the American dream is a narrative of capitalism to mm -hmm. tell people who are not able to succeed and who are not able to build wealth for themselves that it is their fault because mm -hmm. people are able in America, anyone can accomplish the American dream when that is not the mm -hmm. reality of how success works or how wealth works. Yeah. And even um, thinking about these ads and how when I was growing up seeing any black and brown people in ads was like such a cool, joyful thing for me. And now I'm like, yeah, is it a good thing? <laughs> is representation always a good thing because you know pepsi yeah. will have those we'll have those cool cute pepsi ads with like doja cat and Nicki minaj and then we'll have kendall jenner handing a police officer a pepsi <laughs> <laughs> because and because it's like it, it it can fool you into thinking like corporations care about us and corporations do not care about us corporations care about selling things to us corporations yes. care about using our um using our images and our identity and our cultures to mm -hmm. sell things to people but yes. they're really good at kind of making you feel like they care about our communities because you yes. see these joyful images well i think that's a part of the representation thing right it's like People take capitalism's ability to absorb, appropriate, and represent, you know, people who were formerly 
sometimes even currently marginalized, and take that as some kind of victory, while the situation of exploitation remains entirely intact, and the fact that we celebrate that representation so much actually kind of strengthens the common sense that uh, that already exists and the illusion that we're making progress. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking a little bit about that um, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the AI and the AI giving us even more representation. That's like not even real people. So I think that's why when um, I really enjoyed the article and I really enjoyed looking through how advertisement has changed um, within the realm of like how it's used black identity and also feeling this deeply uncomfortable feeling of is this good? Is it, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, is is this good? Is this, is this good? Is this helping? Is this helpful or is this harmful? Um, And I mean, if Pepsi wanted to write me a check to be in an ad, like, I will be there. So I, I'm not like saying I'm not, I'm putting, I'm not putting any like moral um, judgment of the people who sort of participate in these, um, in these ads. But I do wonder just on a very simple, simple question of like, Hmm, is this good? I think To your question, Trish, for me, what comes up is two things come up. One is about like, oh, gosh, I can't remember their names right now, but it's in the book Militant Joy, Joyful Militancy. It's Joyful Militancy, um, where they talk about instead of asking questions of morality, asking questions of ethics. And sometimes that is helpful to me. I don't know if that would be helpful right now because I'm literally processing it in real time. but. yeah i guess the question was more i think the question should be more is this helpful or harmful yes 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 and the other thing that it makes me think of to that question is about cedric johnson's work in the panthers can't save us now which is sometimes it seems like our efforts at social progress just create more opportunities for people who are already closer to the top of the hierarchical oppressive system. And so this is what I'm processing to your question, Trish. I don't know that I have Mm -hmm. the answer. It's just you raise the question and that's what comes up for me that I'm thinking about in real time is because it is something I've been thinking about, but It's like, I think that some of us in marginalized communities have an idea of trickle down liberation. And Mm -hmm. when we see, when we see people who get to enter those, you know, get to enter the 1% who, who become celebrities, who become billionaires and things like that, you know, people think I can do that too, you know? 
in that in that music academy I mentioned, somebody literally said that to us. They say, you could be the next billionaire. And I'm like, I mean, that's not that's not how billionaires are billionaires are made, <laughs> you know. Um, that's not how people become billionaires. Anyway, I don't I don't want to ramble, but it just is something I've really been wrestling with is that what Cedric Johnson says is that part of uh this kind of fetishized because we ha- we have seen a resurgence of black power iconography, black power sentiment, black power rhetoric. And his argument is that some of the limits of that is that, you know, this this notion that we just need to make more money, that we just need to get into those positions of power, is that we end up having black and brown faces in high places, but it doesn't do anything for the material conditions of the black poor, you know, and people who don't have those opportunities. And what it takes to maintain your position in those places is kind of like a distancing from the rest of that community. And that brings me back to some of how I think I'm reading some of the examples you brought up, Gabe, is, yeah, you know, you can be on the stage for Pepsi, but, you know, you can't do, you can't do the same, you can't drop the same bars that got you your start in hip hop. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, Yeah, there's only, there's only, sorry, Gabe, continue. No, no, please go ahead. Yeah, please go ahead, Trish. Oh, I was, what were we talking about? Oh yeah. It's, it's the, it's a caricature. (laughs) It's a caricature of identity. Like that is what is helpful to Mm. what is helpful to the structure of white supremacy and the structure of, of capitalism is a caricature of identity as opposed to Mm. real culture, as opposed to real communities it is how can we make this into a two-dimensional thing? And that is still a form of dehumanizing is yes. only is, is sifting through what do we like about this? That's a that's appropriation. It's saying I want to skim off the top this amount of this, but I won't take the whole mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> Gabe, what were you going to we, say? We probably need to wrap this up soon. We're we're at an we hour. We do, we do, we so, do. Any so final do, thoughts we, from Gabriel? I, I uh, if I can just give a you know on this this subjects you're you two have just been talking about. There are a couple of things that pop to mind, and one, um, one is I just want to give a, a shout to um. There is an article in um, in The Nation from 2019 by a writer, Aaron Ross Coleman, um, and the title of the article is Black Capitalism Won't Save Us. And it speaks to some mm. of this tension that I think you're articulating, Andre, of like, I won't, you know, I'm, I, I think there's a complicated question about, uh, you know, how we narrate and celebrate these types of successes and what that says about our values. Right. But like to paraphrase this complex article that this, that, uh, Coleman writes this, the, you know, these successes are not a replacement for actual policy changes that, that lift up the many. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so regardless of, you know, this is now me speaking It's like, regardless of whether we celebrate them or, or wonder, to what degree they're beneficial and to what degree they're harmful and to what degree they lift up 
communities, like there's also this other piece of like, we actually do need policy that addresses the, yeah. the, the, the real and historical issues. Right. Yeah. And that needs to be part of the dialogue and part of, part of our na- like narratives about what a healthier, less harmful, more equitable society are. So there's like a really, there's like a really, I don't know, for me, for me, it's like a really interesting question is like, how do we, you know, what are those narratives that, that lead us to something better yeah. and not just he- <laughs> making the hero out of the, the American, not just the American dream narrative, but what are more mm-hmm. collective or more community oriented identities. Um, and, you know, the, um, uh, and this, this article, I actually found that article cause it was quoted in a more recent story uh, from a writer, Rolling Stone, uh, Moncaper Conte. And she was covering specifically like Jay-Z clapping back. I think this was last year at, uh, critics talking about each eat the rich, which, you know, and so his, his sort of like defending his position and the work that he's put in and the benefit to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, these are, I'm, I'm just putting these, those out there cause they're, they're very smart yeah. and, yeah. Uh, you know, articles that I think are worth reading and in terms of exploring this specific tension. Um, so yeah, I think I, yeah. And I'm sure there are other really important themes I'm not remembering right now, but I, yeah. Also just thank you for having me on to talk about this. No, thank you for coming on, Gabriel. We really appreciate it. Appreciate the conversation. Hey guys, do you know what I, time it is? Four nineteen. <laughs> um, here is where here is where a little song comes in called the Culture Quiz song that says it's time for the Culture Quiz. We can do a short Culture Quiz since yeah since we've been chatting it up. It's time for the Culture Quiz. Wait, what time is it? It's time for the Culture Quiz. Oh, that thing. It's time for the Culture Quiz. You guys do that like it's time every week, right? All right, are you guys ready for the culture quiz? Indeed. This is the culture quiz, and we're doing a couples edition. Oh. Couples. <sighs> the culture quiz is basically when we recap some uh, little little stories from the week. Um, which famous couple got into a near catastrophic, catastro- catastrophic, why did I feel like I said that word weird? It was uh, Meghan Markle and and whatever her husband's name is. <laughs> you got it. One point, Andre and Gabe. You is have to pre- just jump in as soon. Okay, like, you I, just didn't have to re- jump I didn't know in. it was like a like a yeah, first to the. Is well, I was Prince, gonna give you guys. I was gonna Prince give Harry? you. Yeah, it was Prince Harry and Meghan I Markle. I think it's Prince His Harry. Name is yeah. Harry. Yeah. Um, they got into a near catastrophic car crash after being chased by the paparazzi and it's just like paparazzi come on we know what this man has been through yes exactly come on like you should not chase him bad history of chasing Mm -mm. in in his life that was his yeah his his mother right yeah exactly no no yeah no sensitivity to that or at all, really or anything, good. apparently. Paparazzi known for their sensitivity. <laughs> but I just feel like they would be especially sensitive given this, given his history. I was just like, that's so scary. Like, imagine. Anyways, one point, Andre. 
Um, all right. Taylor Swift is facing heat for her relationship with Matt Healy of the 1975. Mm-hmm. He has been criticized for his bigoted comments and actions in the past. Which mm. of the following has he not done? So we're looking for what he has not done. A. Made fun of Ice Spice's ethnicity on a podcast. Oh, wow. B. Talked about watching violent porn on a site known for its degradation of women of color by white men. C. Did a Nazi salute on stage. Or D. Say he would never date Taylor Swift because she's a feminist. (laughs) Okay, so wait, he's coming under fire for the bigoted comments he's made? No, she is facing heat now. Okay. Because she is dating him. He definitely did the first three. <laughs> Which is awful. So Gabe's going with like, D. Well, but I also... But I feel like he did a version of D also. Is none of oh, the above. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a trick. Maybe it's a trick question. I feel oh, like he, I, didn't, I didn't hear that. that. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I don't remember seeing an exact quote, but I do feel like he said that dating her would be emasculating, which doesn't seem particularly feminist to me. But so, mm, but, but but that's not the same thing as what I what said. It, what it was? What was? <laughs> I'm, I'm going with you as well, though. I'm going with. Go ahead. Sorry, did I miss? See, maybe I missed. Andre misheard. has played this before, so he knows how I do this. <laughs> okay. I'm, no, I'm going with D as well. Just because the reason I'm going with D is because for Taylor Swift's brand, that makes the most sense to me as why she would come under fire because she is kind. We're of saying what a, he has not said. Which one has he not said? Is it possible to repeat D? Ah, okay, 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 okay. D. That he hasn't said. I still think yes. it's D. So D, um, he say he would never date Taylor Swift because she's a feminist. I don't think he said that exactly. I'm going to go. So with Gabe's D. also going with D. Unless it's the answer trick. is D. Gabe was right. <laughs> he said he would never date Taylor Swift because it would be emasculating. <laughs> right, right, right. Not because she is a feminist, but maybe. It would be emasculating because she's a feminist. But yeah, he's um yeah, not a great I guy. <laughs> I would um I I am never ever going to say anything about Taylor Swift in the public sphere. Why is that? Because I am scared of her fans. I was gonna say because you value your life, right? <laughs> I value you know. my life. Um, but a lot of uh, a lot of white feminist vibes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to criticize Taylor Swift as a person, but I will, I will say something critical of people whose feminism is as deep as Taylor Swift. Like, I don't trust that. That's the kind of yeah. feminism that kills black people, including black men. But anyway, this is supposed to be a fun game. <laughs> this is how we like get out of the sad part and into the fun part. Um, when this whole thing is just like, actually, this whole culture quiz is like dark okay so gabe has two points andre has one point 
Wait a minute. Wait, I have two. I feel like I only have I feel like I only have one. There only Sorry, two Andre questions, has right? two points. Gabe has one point. <laughs> it's because we look so much alike. <laughs> yeah, if I don't you see if you're color. not watching on Andre. the video, you really should become a <laughs> I am I'm very, very white. Someone's gonna take know, that out of context right. in ten years. In 10 years, someone's going to find that color? clip and take that out of context and I'm going to get canceled. Okay. <laughs> I thought, I thought I hit the drum joke, but I hit the drum roll. everyone. So Ross, don't, don't be concerned about how you're going to take that drum roll out of there. Just leave it in there. It's user error. That's all. A little user, user error never hurt anybody, but here's what it was supposed to be. I think. Ah, there uh, we go. <laughs> All right, final yeah. question. So this gives Gabe a chance to catch up or Andre a chance to secure the win. And if you win, you just you just get the pride. You get the pride of winning the culture <laughs> quiz. Um, I keep thinking we're gonna win an iPad or something. <laughs> Billy Eilish and Jesse Rutherford of with the neighborhood. Is he from the neighborhood? Is that what he's from? Uh, yes. Who is okay. Jesse Rutherford? He's a, he's a, the singer of the neighborhood, I guess. I believe so. Okay. Um. Anyways, Billie Eilish and Jesse Rutherford have broken up after under a year of dating. What was the age gap between the two? A. Five years. B. Seven years. C. Eleven years. Or D. Fifteen years. I don't know. This is a straight up guess. I don't, I only know, I don't know who Jesse Rutherford is. So, but his name Do sounds you know old. Do you know the neighborhood so go is? With 11. <laughs> I don't think so. Sounds... <laughs> it does. Rutherford is an old name to me. I know it's, uh, it's either 11 or what was it? 11 or 15. Those were the, yeah. the two or was it 11 yeah. or 14? It's um, C, 11 or D, 15. I'm going to go with D, but I think Andre might be right. I don't, it's like Andre, at a certain point. I don't know. Andre mm -hmm. has secured the win. 11 yes. years. There is 11 years between Billy and Jesse. A lot of people were concerned about this when they started dating because she's 21 years old, which is a tiny, tiny, tiny baby. I feel like my win should be more ceremonious because this is the first time I've ever won the culture quiz on my own podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Studio. Have you audience. never won? <laughs> I have not. Wow. And so later on tonight, I will be popping a bottle of Martinelli's apple juice, sparkling well, apple to juice. Be fair, sparkling to be apple fair, fire. when we don't have a guest, and that's a really long clip. <laughs> I know I had to, to pause it. I was like, <laughs> how long is this sound clip? To be fair, when we don't have a guest, you have to get all of them to win. So that's hard. Oh, that's, but you got all of true. them today, actually. I you did. got all of them. I did. Wow. I did. Perfect, perfect score. Let's let the crowd keep cheering. <laughs> <laughs> there is like at least 15 more seconds of that in that sound file. Amazing. <laughs> Um, well thanks everyone for listening to our show uh, you know where to find us and you I mean if you've listened before you know that Ross is about to come and tell you 
things and stuff about, you know, where to find Trish, how to connect with us, all that kind of thing. And if this is your first time, Ross is about to come on our producer and tell you things and stuff about how to connect with Trish and I and all that kind of thing. And Gabe, where can we find you? Um, I, I don't do much social media <laughs> these days. Um, but so nowhere. You can't find Gabe anywhere. <laughs> Uh, I'm Gabriel Bells on Instagram and, uh, you know, but I, I will say I'm very, uh, you know, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't do a lot of, a lot of the social media, which I probably should do more, but I don't know if you don't have to, I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) I probably should. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Thanks again for being with us, Gabe. Thank you so much for having me, Andre. Appreciate it. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Thanks for choosing to listen today. You can catch up with our hosts online. Trish's is at Trish's Music. That's spelled T-R-I-S-H-E-S. Music on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Andre is at TheAndreHenry on Instagram and TikTok. And at AndreHenry on Twitter. Catch the songs you heard today and more of their music on Spotify. If you'd like to support what we're doing here and see the video of Andre and Trisha's conversation, you can join the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Andre Henry. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>